0: I'm Sonia Morton-Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton-Firth Show. Today my guest is Ian Young, speaker, author, founder of Recovery Clinics and Sober Services Global in the UK and in Thailand. In his past life, a squatter, raver, DJ and addict, injecting heroin, cocaine, as well as being an alcoholic. His life then revolved around setting up raves in the UK and dodging prison. Ian now touches the lives of thousands of people, offering lasting recovery for those struggling with addictions. Tell me about the 12-step program. And I know that, that, that's a whole other interview. I, I, I do know that. But the 12-step program, and I, you know, I, I, I've got a friend that, that's been on it and I, I saw her go through it. Um, but it, and Russell Brand obviously talks about his the twelve step program and, and he sort of made that his big thing. But there I remember
1: you was- I remember using heroin with Russell uh, in 1999 in the summer in a in a squat on a Sunday near not Hackney uh, Dawson. And I've seen him in recovery as well. but I haven't had a chance to tell him that story yet. <laughs>
0: There are people that knock the 12-step and, and, and do say it's too much about abstinence and it's too extreme and
1: actually that's not the way. Um, ha- the main reason why people knock the 12-step program is because they think it's a religious program. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't mind me in giving me a couple of minutes, I'm the biggest atheist you'll ever meet. I've done all the, the-, the psychedelics on this planet and I've met fucking God and I'm still the biggest atheist you'll ever meet. But this program asks me to find a power greater than myself that I can choose. Let me just tell you, step one is we, is we admitted we're powerless over our addiction and that our lives have become unmanageable. What does it mean to be powerless over my addiction? It means I've lost the ability to choose on a daily basis not to get high. And it means that when I start getting high, I have the I, I can't stop. I've lost control of when I start and I've lost the ability to choose not to start in the first place. So powerless is about the inability to choose not to do what I don't want to be doing because I know that when I start doing it I can't control myself and there's no way of me stopping myself. So when I start I can't stop and when I stop I can't stop myself from starting again. So the problem is that I need to find a place where I can stop for long enough so that I can overcome this obsession that keeps driving me back to doing what I don't want to be doing in the first place. and oh,
0: yeah we that can is... apply that to so many different parts of our lives not not just drugs not just sure. I mean Chocolate. Food. Chocolate. Absolutely. Um do you know what? Exercise. Baseball? Exercise. I mean, I, I, I go to the gym and I'm, an, I'm obsessed with, you know, uh, the gym. I mean, uh, right. lockdown was so, me not being able to go to the gym, but that's an obsession, right? It's
1: just. Right, but has I, your life become unmanageable as a result of it? Uh, n- no, no. Is this, is this obsession affecting your quality of your life? I make is sure it making I you emotionally in- unavailable? for your loved ones. That's, that's the benchmark, remember? Does oh, your addiction- I was in lockdown so that you can
0: argue it did. <laughs> I make sure I found a way to work out in some way. Um, oh. But yeah, it, 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 no,
1: I know. I understand what you're trying to say. So powerlessness, what does that mean? It means we've lost the ability to choose to not to do what we don't wanna be doing. And when we start, we can't stop. And when we stop, we can't stop ourselves from starting again. That's what powerlessness means. What, so what do I need? Step two is a statement of the solution. A power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. So in order to, if I'm powerless, I need to find a power. Yeah? If I'm powerless, I need some power. And that power is going to restore me to enough sanity so that I have the ability to choose on a daily basis not to get high. That, that's, the begin, that's the premise of the 12-step program. Step one is a statement of the problem. Step two is a statement of the solution. Steps three through to 10 is, is, is something you can do on every day that helps you remain sober every day. And, and, and people get stuck because there because they have to do some actual fucking work. But that work is the most healing process I've ever experienced. It is that work of going through steps three through to 10 and adopting them in my, program, in my life so they work automatically. That shifted me, this is good, from being a bad boy into a good guy. It is that precise stuff that restores me to the sanity so that I can choose on a daily basis not to do those bad things anymore, not to be that bad boy, and to be a good guy, and to treat people the way I want to be treated myself, and to do for others what they cannot do for themselves. That, that's the crutch of what this process is. And I'm a big fan of the 12-step program because I have worked in this industry. I've been sober 19 and a half years now. I've worked in the industry over 17 of those years, and I have seen many people stop using drugs and stop drinking. But the people that I see with a great, great quality of life, restored to them and given them like a whole new opportunity to live, start like starting a whole new book, not a chapter, a whole new book, are the people that take the 12-step program seriously. They work the steps and they have a, a psychic change. They have a, this whole spiritual dimension that's added to their life. It's like having a... It's, it's like, Do you remember in the 70s, there was this serial called Ready Brick? and the kids would walk down. And then they glowed, you glowed. Ready glow. that, that's what being in recovery feels like. It's like I'm walking around with a ready-break glow. It's like I've got laser beams coming out of my eyes. It's like I can see from, like putting on a new pair of glasses, I see the world from a different point of view. I wake up in the morning, and this is what I talked to Carl about. I wake up in the morning and I'm jolly. I'm just automatically jolly. Some days I'm jollier than other days. Other days I'm not quite so jolly. But generally, by and large, my inner chi, my natural organic chi is jolly and i am just in a place of joy and bliss and the word that 12-step program uses is serenity and i'm just there <laughs> I, I I, I'm independent i'm not yeah. significantly independent i'm just
2: happy <laughs> if i ask you what was your gift dear what is your gift
1: what's my gift i don't know what my gift is my my, my gift to others or my gift to myself
0: you, my, my, your purpose in life.
1: Your purpose. Well my, my, my purpose in life is to co-create a green and harmonious world through laughter and love. And that just ties in with my with my anarchistic mindset, which is I need to at least take care of my own garden and, and clean my own side of the street and make sure that what I'm doing is co-creating a place of harmony amongst people, rather than I'm not looking for a fight, I'm looking for peace. Uh, and a green and harmonious world. I'm into living, you know, let, let's support the planet. Let's not steal from the planet. How can I use a glass rather than a plastic bottle? Yeah, those small things, I, I'm responsible for my own affairs and I can talk to other people, but it just ends up lecturing people. So I co-create a green and harmonious world through laughter and love. When I got sober, one of the greatest tools to keep me sober was, was comedy, music and comedy. I, re- you know, I, I was a DJ, I love music. Music is my biggest passion. It's always on, I'm always traveling with my speaker and my headphones. My iPhone is, I have to get the biggest size iPhone because, and other phones are available but they're not nearly as good. I have to get the biggest size iPhone because I always have to download music in case I happen to be offline and I can't listen. I can't do with streaming. I have to have everything downloaded. And so my iPhone is always on shuffle. Music is a really important part of me, but comedy, when I started laughing again, after having three miserable years in those last three years of my addiction, they were miserable. I was more junkie sick than I was ever high. I was more looking for the next bit to just not feel ill than I was ever really feeling happy, joyous, and free. Those last three years were miserable. They weren't a happy place to be in. Um, music and comedy were the two tools that gave me the power to say, I'm going to stay in, in this, on this journey, and I'm going to Go to Australia one day and meet Steve Irwin. And you also,
0: you also speak on stage and I guess that's where our paths sort of crossed because I was a member and, and have been a previous leader of the Yes Group. Um, as have you, you were a very, very famous leader and director of the Yes Group. Do you just want to tell me a little bit more about why you decided to join because it's, um, you know, you're, you're contributing, it's a volunteer role um, and you're leading and organizing an event um, which, is, which is one of the largest personal growth uh,
1: communities in the UK. Certainly. The largest personal development community of the UK. And uh, uh, full respect to Anita Langley, really. Um, she turned me on to it and she was hounding me for a while. Um, she, she was there throughout my Tony Robbins journey, really, which um, was quite, quite cool. I went to my first UPW, Tony Robbins event in 2006, September, and I stopped smoking just stop smoking cigarettes at that first UPW on the Saturday morning when you make a decision. And I've never stopped telling that story. Um, but I, and I was so blown away by that and, and that I went back a, a couple of other times to watch what Tony was doing in order to get me to make that change. And, 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 I, and, I, and I'm fascinated by that. And that took me down the path of learning more about NLP and other, other processes outside of the historic therapeutic ones, which I was learning from my own professional work anyway. Um, and Anita kept on encouraging me and the first thing I did was, was, she, was she dragged me to a, a basket brigade um which yeah. uh it, where oh, December the 23rd when 200 in, people in those days would come together and volunteer to make Christmas hampers that we would delib- deliver anonymously and that was what was important to me. I mean it's an amazing event and I have and done a couple of them and
0: I've got to say if anyone's watching um, it's definitely something that just, it, it's a humbling experience. You're contributing, you're having fun, um, and you're doing it. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, who knows, because of the situation, but such an amazing cause.
1: But, but if you can go, take your kids. Yeah. Please take your kids in. It's such a good exercise for them. And, and the beautiful thing is that, I don't know how it is today, but in those days, there was a woman called Dina, uh, and she was hooked in with some charities. So a lot of the recipients um, were single mothers who had been escaping uh, domestic violence. Yeah. So it was single mothers with some kids who were in refuge housing. And I was delivering to those people for the first couple of years. And, and that was really relevant for me. Yeah. Um, and So through the basketball brigade I then went to the Yes Group. And in those days, uh, it was the great Mac Actram who was the chair. Um, and, uh, and I knew Mac from other stuff, as well, that was going on. Uh, and then uh, that someone else took over, a guy called Mark, took over. Uh, and I sat there for, for another two years enjoying the Yes Group. Um, and, and then, by some strange um, manifestation, um, Carl and, and, and uh, the team involved saw fit to ask me to, to lead in 2000. And, I think it was 2013, I came on board. Um, and uh, the, yeah, the secret to being a great leader is, is, is about having a great team. Uh, and it was never about me. Absolutely. So I selected, I selected uh, yeah, I, and what most people want when they become the Yes Group leader is to go on stage and MC and introduce all these speakers every week. And the first thing I said was, this is not about me. And, you know, and uh, this is not about me. If I'm gonna do the Yes Group, I'm gonna do it from a place of contribution, I'm not gonna do it from a place of, hey, look at me. So I, I, I ruled myself out of being the MC. I chose Alan uh, Clannans to be my MC, uh, and so he his only role while I was the leader was to make sure that the the stage was rocking. Which and he's a great great em- at right. So
0: that's good.
1: He's a great MC. That's
2: good. And, and
1: I'm a great MC too. But that shouldn't be the role as the leader. Yeah. The role as a, as a leader shouldn't be about going on stage and and being the all I, Hey, look at me. So, so I was teaching those principles of leading from behind. I had a great leadership team. I had a uh, Marilyn Devonish choosing the, the speakers. I had the, the, ma- the magnificent Linda Thompson, who was the event coordinator. Um, I had a, a, another woman called Mandy, who was managing registration, really proficient at uh, administration and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I had oh, um, Shamoni, I think her name is, who was doing marketing. And, and and she was so passionate about marketing; it was formidable. Uh, and uh, she was pushing out messages every week. She did an outstanding job. Uh, I brought on uh, Jatinda to do uh, web web stuff, and Jatinda and his brother Armand were videoing it. And so within time, we had video content. Um, Steve Driver came and did merchandise, so we started producing Yes Group merchandise and selling that. Uh, and we just had, it, the the time I was a leader of the Yes Group, it was great. Because I was, a lead, but it was about a team. It was, it was always about what, what team can I create around me, and, and, um, and that's the message that I gave the leader who, who, who came after me. You know, delegate. Have, have, the greatest team around you, but don't make it about you. Don't make it about the. Don't make it the Ian show. Make it the. Make it a we show, not, a, not a me show. How did um, it help you? Because
0: presumably, how did it help
1: you? I mean, I I was pretty networked and connected already. Uh, I I didn't get uh, a huge lift in my professional life from working in the Yes Group. I didn't get a return of financial, I I didn't didn't start start buying me a coach or anything. I I didn't need that income from the the personal development scene. My income was always in the addiction treatment world. Um, So how it helped me, I guess, was just to feel like I was being of service and contributing to the welfare of others, teaching my team, teaching the group, teaching the, the people that turned up new skills, just it is, it is an act of, of contribution. My, my term at the S yes Group has always been about contribution to the community and, and later uh, when I became a director it was about how can I best serve Carl in some way, be a sounding board for him, be a second pair of eyes, give him another opinion, um, and Carl and I have got a great respectful relationship where uh, we go to each other for advice and, and where I mean, there was never a kind of hierarchy between us. There's always been a, a, a brotherly balanced energy between.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that the Yes Group is still going despite obviously the lockdown. They're still putting out re- um, regular, regular Zooms and I will put a link on the end of this as well. because um, if you're listening and if you've never tried the Yes Group, it's absolutely an amazing, uplifting community. But back to you very quickly. Okay, I'm to very of time. My God, I think I could spend the whole day here. Well, actually,
2: I could spend the whole day there by the pool. <laughs> uh, uh, I've, I've, I've got about another half
1: hour. But, um, okay. well, so, well, so, I, recovery. so recovery. Sorry. Go on, you ask me the question. Well,
0: I, I want to know. So, you know, you told me about the 12-step programme and, and and I understand that. But re- recovery, I mean, what did you, and, and I don't know because I haven't been in this situation, but what did you replace your addictions with? Is there something, because presumably you had a
1: huge hole left in, inside. So come back to the conversation we had earlier. The base addiction is is love addiction. That's what it all stems from. That's what ultimately I'm craving. I'm I'm craving love and I'm seeking love in the wrong places. I'm seeking love at the end of a syringe, or at the end of a bottle. I'm seeking love uh, through various things. And when I got sober, music and comedy was, was, was a, a significant replacement, but ultimately I'm still craving love. So I, I, I start having relationships with people. Um, and I think the, the obvious one for me is, is I managed to get myself a job buying and selling chocolate wholesale, which was really easy for me because I knew how to buy and sell things wholesale, um, even though I'd never had any legal employment before. And I kind of understood the economy, economics behind that. And, and I was a really good chocolate salesman. I, I, I was really good. Uh, I was consistently one of the top three retailers for Nestle uh, in, in the UK. And, um, um, and I, it's quite easy for me to, to say that I picked up chocolate as, as, as a replacement drug. Yeah. Um, that well, my, relationship, <laughs> my, re- my relationship with sugar has been a constant battle. Well, it hasn't even been a battle. I've just kind of let it go and just accepted that I'm beaten by sugar. I crave sugar and I eat it. Part of this is similar. Uh, I didn't drink whiskey. I used to drink Southern Comfort. I didn't drink rum. I used to drink Malibu. I didn't like coffee, but I'd wake up to a bottle of Bailey's. And what I was doing was I was consuming alcohol that was really sweet in its temperament. I was was consuming a lot of sugar through my alcohol because I was chronic alcoholic throughout all these years. We talk about heroin and coke because they're the bad, sexy ones, but... I was drinking right the way through from the age of 16 through to the time I got sober at 29. I was drinking every day. Wasn't I necessarily say alcohol I was
0: is worse. I mean, obviously, you know, I, not, not sort of comparing one, but I am going kind to of compare one with the other because let's face it, booze is, is legal. Um, and I actually think booze is a huge killer and actually can be
1: one of the nastiest forms of drugs out there. But um, I'm a fan of Professor David Nutt, and he says if you're going to make alcohol if you're going to make drugs that are banned based on how much danger they cause then alcohol is up there with heroin and cocaine Absolutely. and then in that, in that language ecstasy amphetamines cannabis should all be legalized yeah um I, i'm okay with legalization of drugs i'm not anti uh, I'm, I'm 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 pro legalization i think all drugs should be legal and 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 i don't really know whether that means that they should be sold by the state uh, and and uh, you know and have tax on them like you sell cigarettes today but I, I think that would that would be the best way to go is to tax cigarettes. let looking a bit dark here. Should I move? Put 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 the tax on the drugs that you sell, and um, uh, and legalise them that way. And you know, have legalised diamorphine and have legalised. okay uh, can see you properly. Okay. Sorry.
0: So we can see you properly now. I didn't. Oh yeah. it Got so dark. I can see you.
1: Yeah. So um, where should I sit? Raining a little bit, but Um, so yeah, I'm pro legalization. I'm all all good with that, Uh, and and I think that we'd be foolish to to miss that opportunity to, uh, as a a civilization, to keep drugs underground. It is raining, (laughs) and um, let's go with it. Why not? Why not? the Uh The argument argument against legalization is out, out outweighed by the fact that if you're gonna have alcohol legal, alcohol kills 10 times as many people uh, each year than than, than heroin does, Uh, or or look at um, uh, the effects of alcohol. If you go to the hospitals, you ask them just how many people are are, are ill in hospital, it's 100 times more than people coming in with drug-related problems. So I'm pro that, I I mean, I'm not anti, I'm not anti-drug, by any means. And, and I often get reporters and journalists asking me for my opinion about narcotics, expecting me to come out and be anti, and I'm really not. Most of my friends that I used to use drugs with are still using drugs, and that's okay. Most of my friends that, are still getting, that I used to drink with are still drinking, and that's okay. Why should they stop? They don't have a problem. They have not become emotionally unavailable as a result of their drug or their alcohol use. That's the barometer. Are
0: we born out of
1: it? Only
0: Are
1: we born addicts? Uh, officially there are there are studies that show that uh, addiction is passed genetically and that um, they took two boys who were born of alcoholic parents uh, twins and they separated them at birth and they gave one to an alcoholic family and one to a non-alcoholic family and both of the twins ended up being alcoholic um, I believe, that was called project match, I believe personally that it is a balance between nature and nurture, that if I'm exposed to a a civilization or community or a a tribe that is indulging in drugs, I'm far more likely to release that trigger that unleashes the addictive personality within me. Um, If I live a sheltered life all my life and I'm never exposed to drink or drugs, it's unlikely that I would go down that road. However, if you've got addictive disease, I'd probably come out as a beast because i get hooked on food yeah. or I'd come out with some other mood-altering behaviour, gambling, risk-taking. Yeah, even if I'm not exposed to alcohol or drugs, my addiction will manifest itself in some way. It might be a lot less stigmatised, but I believe it will still be there. However, I've seen many cases where there's no evidence of any genetic stuff whatsoever and there's no evidence of anything. It, it's an enigma. It's an enigma. Now, we haven't
0: talked about the amazing work that you're doing at the moment. Um no. you not in Phuket. Tell no. me about your no. projects, if you can.
1: Let, let, me, let me talk to you. I, I, I got sober in 2001, and I've remained sober since then. I went back to, after the chocolate selling. I went back and I worked at the rehab that I got sober at. And off the back of that, I had a spiritual moment where I wanted to create a low-cost rehab um, that was 12-step friendly so that I could help more people get turned on to the 12-step program through low-cost treatment. And I was very successful at that. 2004 through to 2008, I helped many thousands of people and families get get into long-term recovery. We had very successful rehabs that we built in Luton. Uh, But then I was burnt out. I fell in love with with my wife at the time. I wanted a different pace to my life. And um, I began Sober Services. So since 2008, Sober Services has been my essential, my bread and butter. Uh, And what I do is I go around the world. I
2: don't know if you can hear the rain. I go around the world and I help families who have got a loved one who's struggling with addiction and I help intervene and get them into treatment. And I've been doing that all over the place. Uh, I created bespoke models where we'll go in and we'll take care of one person one-on-one and i built sober companion programs, uh, sober sober coaching programs. I've written my own handbook about uh, how I can work with someone one-on-one that takes people through a process. I've got it all down. I've done lots of things. Uh, and then uh, when I got uh, divorced from my wife three years ago, after 11 happy years, and, and I'll say we separated. If, um, we got divorced from a place of love. When we decided to split up, it was because we loved and cared about each other enough that we realized that we wanted what was best for each other and that our life goals have grown so far apart that it was better for us to love each other enough to let each other go than continue to hold on to each other. I love to travel. I love to see people. I love to be around the world, doing stuff, making stuff happen. She's a stay-at-home person. Mm. She loved to stay at home with two dogs, two cats, and three horses. And when I'd get home after some great adventure, I found myself eighth on the pecking list of her of her attentions. And I don't I don't resent her for that. It's just that's how she was. And we got to a point where we decided it was better to let each other go and follow our own dreams. So just under three years ago, I then made the decision that I was gonna move out to Thailand. I've been out here on work and I've you know, been working with rehabs and working with some families out here. So I came out here and uh, I started building a rehab out here. Long story how I got to that, but I ended up on Phuket. Built this most amazing facility with my mate, Russell, my best mate. Known him a long time, he was the best man at my wedding. We've been there for each other, he's also in recovery. the phuket addiction recovery clinic primary care center for detox primary care secondary care and even sober living on the gorgeous island of phuket and then covid happened and all of our borders have been closed since april and so although thailand has been really successful at maintaining covid we haven't allowed anyone into the country and so my rehab has really struggled it's one of the few that stayed open most of the rehabs in thailand closed only three remained open, mine and two others. And I'm very proud of that. And we still have people, we still have residents in the park. Um, but it's got to a point now where my role there isn't, isn't as relevant anymore. Uh, and so I've come over onto Copanyang to open a, a sober community. The idea being that I've got a, an empty resort from a friend of mine, which uh, when it's not raining is, is gorgeous. We're, we're 60 meters from the beach we've got a pool, we've got a huge restaurant, we're making a co-working area, we've got a big gym, we've got 31 chalets, and I want to create a drug and alcohol-free wellness retreat. Wow. Um, and the idea is that uh, if people are living in landlocked parts of Thailand, like Chiang Mai or Bangkok, if they're uh, living uh, in, 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 in a space where they want more, better health, better wellness, and they fancy a, an alcohol-free space, whether they're in recovery or not, then come and live with us for the rest of the pandemic and stay here until Thailand reopens its borders. Come and live by the beach. I mean Koh Phangan is the archetype paradise island. It, I mean, Phuket's a big commercial place but when you think of P- paradise island it's Phuket. Yeah. It's chocked full of hippies, just full of hippies that have come out here to make it a spiritual and conscious connection and it's full of wellness, it's full of healing. Um, and I couldn't really be more fortunate that God's... Think, and I say God, I'm the biggest atheist you'll ever meet who believes in God. How crazy is that? I, I, the, the beautiful thing is that I got to create a God of my own understanding. So I created a God of my own understanding, and she's really sexy. Sometimes she she's wears a, clothes, he's and sometimes she doesn't. She's a definite she. She lives on the beach, she lives in the in concrete jungle. She lives wherever I choose her to live. Some days she wears clothes, and some days she doesn't. But the important thing to know about my God is that she loves me unconditionally, she forgives me, she's generous, she's kind, she's encouraging, and I don't even believe in God. I'm the biggest atheist you would ever meet who believes in God. And I say that because when I choose to talk, when I choose to pray to a God I don't believe in, and when I choose to meditate to a God I don't believe in, magic happens in my life. So I just keep talking to a God I don't believe in. It's right? it's a higher higher power power.
0: yeah it's whatever you call it some people call it the universe some people call it god some people call it the higher power and and ian what is this project called when is it open can people our
2: working title is eden life Life. Uh, we hope to get the website up in the next few weeks and be open in the next few weeks we're kind of looking at october the 1st but of course you have to be in thailand to come here you can't come here unless you're in Thailand Uh, but let's see how we get on hopefully we'll be successful and so that when the borders do reopen again uh, it'll be open for people from all over the world to come and stay on a drug and alcohol free resort by the beach uh, with health and wellness and everything going on It sounds
0: fantastic Ian and so you've got Eden Life tell me you've got your book I know you've got that and you we can get we can put a link to your book on the show notes but I believe
2: it's to print now. My book is called It's Not About Me. Guess what it's about? You. <laughs> it's all about me. But It's about the spiritual principles that I came to understand when my head popped out of my ass and I realised the world doesn't revolve around me. And that's, again, the connection. Addiction is selfishness and recovery is selflessness. And that's what It's Not About Me is about. It's about the, the realisation that life doesn't need to be taken from the point of view of my own selfishness. And that actually, Tony Robbins says it the best, the secret to living is giving. And other people have said, you keep what you have by giving it away. And so I continue to do the best I can to be of service to other people and to see how I can make other people smile. I believe that smiling is contagious and that if I start smiling for long enough, other people will just start smiling back. And we hey, know, you know that when we are smiling, you got me we feel better. Ian listen I could talk to you all day although you look
0: like you might be getting rather wet um, and I think you might have just answered it but I do have a final question that I ask for my guests and that's yeah. if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find what would that
2: message be enjoy the journey and try not to upset anyone
0: love it Ian, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Namaste. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.